You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. I'm Dave Bittner. I'm Joe Kerrigan. And I'm Maria Varmazes. Thank you for listening. That sounded dumb. Let me say that again. <laughs> Not you, Maria, me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's my name. What's wrong with it? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We got some good stories to share this week, and we are joined once again by our N2K colleague and host of the T-Minus Daily Space podcast, Maria Vermasis. Maria. Hi, I'm so glad to be back yet again. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. Welcome back. (laughs) All right, we'll jump into the show right after this word from our sponsor. But first, a word from our sponsor, Know Before. Where would InfoSec professionals be without users making security mistakes? Working less than 60 hours per week, perhaps. Actually having a weekend every so often. We get it. User behavior can be a challenge. But users can also be an InfoSec professional's greatest asset once properly equipped. What do we mean by that? Well, stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before on that very question. All right. So uh, before we jump into our stories this week, we have some follow-up here. Joe, you want to let us in on what's going on here? Sure. I found this on LinkedIn, courtesy of Paul Eckelhoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is a uh, an article from The Sun, which is a, a, a UK newspaper, mm. but this is the US edition of it. Okay. Uh, and it's pretty good news. It's uh, Walmart gift card scammers caught spending $15,000 on jewelry, big screen TVs, and lobster tails at Sam's Club. <laughs> okay. So, so it's like somebody was going to have a party. Right. <laughs> Can I come? Sounds great. <laughs> I don't know if you want to come to this party. There are mug shots involved. Uh, mm. um, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. It looks like they caught some of these guys that are doing these, uh, these gift cards, uh, gift card scams, you know, putting the gift cards back on the shelf and stealing oh, the money, yeah, uh, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had Cynthia who wrote in to ask that or state that she was listening to the podcast about scammers calling people and acting like they're from the victim's bank. Oddly enough, I'll be talking about that again. Mm. Um, mm. Her husband was scammed like this, and now the bank is refusing to refund him. Uh, any suggestions on how to respond to the bank? Um, hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm assuming, Cynthia, that you live in the U.S. Uh, and if you do, I would call your state's attorney general office mm-hmm. and, and talk to them to see if there's anything that can be done. Uh, failing that, go to the news media. Yeah. Right? Go That's to the, what I was going to say. Go to the news <laughs> media and shame that bank. At least, if nothing else, you'll do two things. One— you will make public this the scam that happened um, and name the bank that that did this and is not refunding you. Uh, many times that will uh, that will induce the bank to to say, okay, fine, we'll we'll 
we'll give you the money back. Right. Please make it stop. Right. Um, <laughs> but if nothing else, you can at least shame the bank and make other people aware of the situation. Right. So if you have like a uh, reporter on your side, like we frequently have Mallory Safaste as a guest on our show, uh, and she does these, these kind of stories. And your local news probably has somebody like that as well. Call them up. Yeah. I would also say, depending on how much money it was that you were scammed out of, it may or may not be worth contacting an attorney, um, you know, who could, who who would know what the legal responsibilities are of the bank. Yeah. Um, if it's $500, it's not going to be worth getting an attorney. If it's right. $5,000, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You never it might know. be worth it to have the attorney write a letter. Right. Mm. Right. Right. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for writing in to us. We do love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to consider for the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. Maria, why don't you start things off for us here today with our stories? Oh, this is such a... I'm so thrilled to be talking about this story. This one just recently dropped. It's a very new story on a website that doesn't normally talk about scams. So that's part of the reason I'm glad it's here. It's it's uh it's been featured on its website called The Cut, which is part of New York Magazine, and The Cut is sort of um, as the name might imply, sort of a fashion and style related website. Mm. Uh, and the story is never headline, heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> Joe, I, no comment. <laughs> fashionista that you are, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so I love when I see stories about scams uh, on websites that don't normally talk about this stuff because those are the folks that maybe need to hear it the most. Um, and the headline on the story was, the day I put $50,000 in a shoebox and handed it to a stranger, hmm. I never thought I was the kind of person to fall for a scam. Hmm. This story has gone super viral, uh, and it's it's pretty much all I can see people talking about right now, because the story is so harrowing, and the person who wrote it is a financial advice columnist. Uh, not the typical demographic you would think of for, for someone who would fall for a scam that starts over the phone. Right. Uh, she she's young. She's aware of these scams and their existence. And you know, she writes about money for her living. So she figured that she's pretty savvy. Uh, but yeah. this 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 did happen to her. And another piece of color that I think is interesting is she also recorded a lot of the phone calls that she received from the scammers. Ah, uh, so oh. we have some direct quotes from the scammers in this really long, comprehensive article. And I, I'll call a few of them out. Uh, but essentially, she got a cold call incoming from somebody saying that they were from Amazon, Amazon.com, customer service, reporting unusual activity on her account. You know, did she buy a whole bunch of laptops recently? That kind of thing. And it just also so happened to be Halloween night in the United States, big trick-or-treating night, very busy night. And Charlotte has a two-year-old. So she was kind of halfway out the door trying to be like, I'm going to go trick-or-treating with my kid. This is not a good time for this phone call. Uh, unfortunately... <laughs> She believed the the fake Amazon customer service caller and said, no, that definitely was not me. And the scammer starts to escalate things. Oh, well, looks like you've been hacked. Uh, somebody's using your information uh, in an unlawful way. I need to connect you to another person, to the FTC. So <laughs> the scammer then connects her to the supposed FTC. And she starts talking to someone working at the FTC, supposedly, saying that, not only has Charlotte's identity been stolen, she's now been linked to a number of serious criminal activities, including money laundering and drug trafficking. Mm -hmm. And just to make sure that Charlotte is who the FTC thinks she is, could she please verify the last four digits of her social security number, mm. her home address, and her date of birth to confirm that they have the correct information on her? 
We so, hate to send the wrong person to jail. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so can you verify that you are who we think you are? Yeah. And uh, Mitchell, uh, Mitchell is the name of the scammer from the FTC, supposedly. And he goes on to say something like, 22 bank accounts had been opened in her name. Nine vehicles had been purchased for properties registered under her name. And $3 million had been wired overseas. So right now she's freaking out because this just started with an innocuous Amazon customer service phone call. And now the FTC is involved? Holy heck. Right. Um, so at that point, Charlotte's starting to panic. And she's being told by the scammer, we know is a scammer, the scammer is telling her, don't tell anyone about this. Mm. Including your husband. Do not tell him about this because your home is being watched. You are the suspect. And also, if you tell your husband, you could get him in trouble. So at this point, Charlotte's going, this might be a scam, but I don't know why it would be a scam. How would this be a scam? They're not asking me to tell them information. They already have information on me. And they're not telling me to divulge stuff to them. They're telling me to protect myself. It sounds like they're looking out for me. Right. So, so what's what's the play here? She couldn't figure it out. So she's taking them seriously at this point. Uh, and so at that point, the FTC supposedly has gotten everything they need out of Charlotte. And they say, okay, this is really serious because we think this is money laundering and you're the suspect. You need to talk to the CIA. And so they pass her. She's still on the phone. She's being passed over to a colleague at the CIA. And he's making all sorts of claims. And this is where the urgency really kicks in. Now, this so, is in New York? This happened? Uh, yeah, the, the, this is on New York, uh, the New York website. I don't know what state she is located okay. in, but she is in the United States. Okay. Um, the, the, the supposed CIA agent says, your social security number is about to be frozen. All your assets are going to be frozen. And we need to, quote, follow protocol to catch the people who are really committing the crime under your name so we can clear you. But if we're going to do that, we have to act fast. And this is where I'm so glad she recorded the call because this quote is chilling. And the, the scammer said, if you talk to an attorney, I cannot help you anymore. You will be considered non-cooperative. Your home will be raided and your assets will be seized. You may be arrested. It's your choice. Right. Wow. Just, I'm reading this article. My blood just ran cold because mm-hmm. earlier in this call, they verified they know where she lives. So this went from, we're verifying your information to, we are now threatening you. Right. Right. I, I'm I'm freaking out on her behalf, frankly. <laughs> yeah, and part yeah, of you're what, you're experiencing part of the same exact physiological response as she did. Yeah, she's this being process. threatened. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's being actively threatened. This is very, quite scary. Uh, and in the back of her mind, on top of all of this, like I don't need this right now, is also what are people going to think of me? What are my neighbors going to think of me if they see my house being raided on Halloween night when I've right. got a two year old who wants to just go trick or treating in the neighborhood? Um, She's thinking also, I still think there's a scam here, but I don't, I still can't figure out what it would be. So she starts thinking what I think anybody in her situation would do. I need proof that you guys are who you say you are and good for her for doing that. And they go, well, that's easy. So they send her a picture of their badge and she goes, well, that's easy for you to fake. That's definitely not enough. And the scammer says, okay, if you don't believe me that I'm actually from the government, you look up the number of the FTC right now and hang up. You can just stop talking to me right now. And she does that. And then they call her immediately from that number that she found on the FTC, FTC website. And she, she thinks to herself, okay, this has got to be legit. And the scammer says, it's a government number. It cannot be spoofed. Mm, that's incorrect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People don't know that. People don't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. That's, that, that's, that's sort of where you start going. Not, I don't know how many people are aware that that's not true. 
So at this point, I'm thinking, she's she's got a husband. Has she told him what's going on? Because I don't know about you, but if something's going on that's this serious, I tend to want to tell somebody just to go, you know, sanity check what's happening. Um, the scammer reiterates that she cannot tell her husband anything that's going on. And he says this, you must reassure him that everything is fine. In many cases like this, we have to investigate the spouse. And the less he knows, the less he is implicated. From now on, you have to follow protocol if you want us to help you. And she says, I don't think I should lie to my husband. And the scammer replies, you are being investigated for major federal crimes. By keeping your husband out of this, you are protecting him. Mm. <laughs> just like, I, we, we know that this is a scam. So we're hearing this and we're just going, this is just such a bald-faced lie. It's so bold. Right, but what I'm thinking about this more is just how vile this is. Yes. You know, this isolation tactic uh, here, this what is what what they're doing is not part of every single social engineering attack, but it's a part of a lot of them. And usually when they happen, they're pretty aggressive like this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this continues. Eventually, the, the scam sort of reveals itself what they're after. It's money. No big surprise. Uh, the, the play is something like, well, there's money laundering here, so you need to withdraw a large amount of cash because you're probably going to be on trial for a long time. And while that happens, your assets will be frozen. So go to the bank right now, withdraw $50,000 in cash because you're going to need to live off of that for some time. And again, the scammers, and this is such a great quote, you need to go to the bank and get that cash out now. You cannot tell them what it is for. In one of my last cases, this guy's pretending to be helping her, the identity thief was someone who worked at the bank. So, wow! right. So we know that many times banks, when they see someone coming in and withdrawing a large amount of cash, they'll say, hey, is somebody putting you up to this? You know, they'll, they'll, they know to look for this. So now the scammers are sort of responding. Don't tell them what it's for because they could be in on it. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely mental. It's a trust no one really. Uh, And he also insisted, don't tell the police, don't get an attorney uh, under basically the not so veiled threats that this is just going to cause more problems for you. So here's where I should mention, how long do you think she was on the phone for with these guys? And this is all happening on Halloween night? Halloween night. I don't know how this, but how long do you think she was doing this for? Because I'm curious how long you thought this takes. A few hours. Yeah, she was on the phone with them for five hours. They, or rather, they had her on the the, the phone for five hours. She's just completely exhausted at this point. And she's terrified. they, They completely wore her down. And she followed their instructions, and lo and behold, around 6 o'clock that night, uh, an SUV pulls up to her house, and she hands this cash in a box to the person in the SUV. Uh, And, of course, she realizes pretty much immediately after that it was all fraud, and the the regret sets in, and it's devastating for her. I mean, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's certainly not a lot of money. Um, But when she was looking back at it over time as she was writing this piece, because she wanted to tell people, like, hey, this happened to me, it's it's amazing how it was... I gave a very summarized version of what happened. The whole article is pretty harrowing. It's just these little drops of threats and little escalations at a time. They never make a huge jump. It's little by little, like a like little water drops. Right. And then they use real proof points to sort of inject some fear, classic false urgency, perceived authority, secrecy, and then blatant threats at one point. Right. And then it's- it just sort of ups the ante over time slowly until... It, just handing a stranger in a shoebox $50,000 in cash seems like the obvious logical course of action. Yeah, it's like <laughs> boiling a frog, they said, right? That is exactly, that's exactly it. Um, right. And it's, I think, to some degree, you know, they did get lucky that they called her at a really bad time where she was just a bit preoccupied. But right. she, 
she wrote this piece basically saying, I never in a million years would have thought this would have happened to me. I would have thought I'm the last person to fall for this. Uh, and the comments, many of them are basically saying, how on earth could you fall for this? But it, yeah, that's the thing people do. It, it, those comments are invalid. Uh, how could you fall for this? Because you you don't understand what this is like until you've been through it. These guys yeah. are really good at ratcheting up the the fear. They're, what they're inducing is the fight or flight response. Yes. And they're shutting down your rational capacity for thought. They're just literally stopping it by inducing this uh, fight or flight. What happens is your amygdala fires off a signal to your adrenal glands. It pumps your blood full of adrenaline. And then you you ignore all the subtle inputs that are yeah. going on. Uh, even that little voice in the back of your head that says this is probably a scam. You say, but yeah. what if it isn't? You know, yeah, and, and, yeah. What if it isn't? And like, what's right. the take? And, until they revealed the 50K, which uh, which was hours into this conversation, it just seemed like they were helping her. So you know, they were they were trying to keep her from getting arrested and charged with a federal crime. They're on her side. They have all this information right. on her. Like, what on earth could they possibly want? And um, even the 50K is framed in such a way that they're trying to help her. Like, right. like you're going to need this money to survive. I'm I'm doing you a favor by getting this money out of the government's hands. Yeah. Yep. It's it's absolutely amazing. It's a fantastic read. As I said, I just gave a summary version. There's a lot more to it. Um, but I, I just wanted to say kudos to Charlotte for sharing her story. Uh, yeah. Because this is, I mean, nobody's happy to reveal that this happens to them. Uh, but I hope that this will reach a lot of people who might need to hear it. Uh, and and just, it's a good reminder for all of us. These scams are quite sophisticated. So if we think it doesn't couldn't happen to us, it, it, it could. Right. I'm trying to imagine, I, and I'm in no way, you know, blaming or blaming or shaming the victim, but I'm I'm trying to imagine my wife' response to me being on the phone for five hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's just you, Dave. <laughs> well, well, and, and, and throughout the story, it's interesting. Her husband knows something is up, and she's just kind of like, "Oh, I'm just dealing with this thing. Don't worry about it, honey." I see. Right. You know. Right, right. You know. He he's he's he knows. I mean, I think any spouse would notice you being on the phone yeah. for five hours. Yeah. Um. But but she's she keeps telling him because she's been compelled to by the scammers. Just tell mm-hmm. him everything's okay because she thinks she's protecting her husband. So right. it's so manipulative. Um, it's, uh, man, my heart just broke reading it, but it was also <laughs> a great read. So highly recommend. Yeah. Well, I'll, I will check that out. Wow. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to my story this week. Uh, this actually comes from one of our listeners who is a regular contributor and friend of the show, uh, but they prefer to remain anonymous. Uh, so we will respect that, but I'll just say I know who this person is and <laughs> know their uh, their credentials, and and I vouch for their credibility. <laughs> so <laughs> this person writes, and I'm, I'm going to read uh, most of what they've written in here, and then uh, we can talk about it. Uh, so feel free to interject as we go, or uh, we can talk about it at the end. Um, this person writes and says, I'm always astounded by how many younger folks I see who get themselves easily crypto-scammed on Telegram. So I decided to get on Telegram last night and put myself out there for a while to see what, if anything, would happen. It didn't take too long of perusing some crime groups for someone to reach out to me. Let me just pause here and say that <laughs> I did, have not been on Telegram. There are crime groups. Oh, there's apparently. everything. It, it, it's, <laughs> Telegram reminds me a lot of sort of the weird parts of Craigslist where it's just, it's so weird. <laughs> okay. And seedy. Uh, you can use it for good purposes, but there's also a lot of really gross stuff. I don't think I've ever been on Telegram. Come, oh, you're come missing out, Dave. <laughs> you know, reading this story, I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> 
So they go on and they say, my goal was to let a scammer run their game so I could see the first movement when I would actually be in a position to move beyond mere words and conversation, something substantive where I could verify an aspect of a scam. Mm -hmm. His story was that he's in a country where his Bitcoin was stuck on crypto exchange because crypto is banned in his country. He needed somebody who wasn't from his unspecified country to do the withdrawal for him and that he would give me 10% if I could help him. Joe? Yeah? What's the scam? Uh, this is an advanced fee scam. <laughs> so he's going, he's going to uh, send you to some crypto exchange, and you're going to see that there's a bunch of cryptocurrency in it, and then you're going to try to make a withdrawal, and it's going to say, well, first enter your credit card number, and then we'll charge you 20 bucks to make this withdrawal. Mm. Is that right? Uh, I, it's not that far off. I will continue. Yeah. Okay. They write, so I played along, and he eventually got to the point of sending me the below screenshot of his supposed crypto account with $10,198 in it. Uh, well, at this point, I was able to actually do some verification. Uh, a simple who is check of the domain shows it was registered on January 27th, 2024. Mm. So, Two weeks ago, right, right. <laughs> uh, and then the the um, the domain is uh, flip and swap. Flip <laughs> the word flip, the letter N, and the word swap. Which <laughs> I don't know about you all. That that gives me a bunch of confidence that uh, I want to be doing major financial. I'll tell you, that sounds with my exactly. Money. <laughs> that sounds exactly like some site that a crypto bro would set up. Actually, you know what, Joe? That's a great point. That's it good really point. does. It really does. Um. So this person says this in and of itself is 99.999 prima facie evidence of a crypto scam operation. All the info you need to know is present right then and there. Yet so many young folks simply do not know to do this or are consumed with excessive misplaced trust and greed and simply don't do it. And they wind up getting themselves sucked into a scam. They write, I did not let it play out, but... What the dude wanted me to do was to create an account on this flip and swap, <laughs> a bogus online crypto exchange account completely controlled by the scammer. Mm -hmm. My guess is that in order to create an active account, I would have to put some crypto in it, possibly Bitcoin, and the bro would have simply gobbled up whatever I put in. Yeah, that, uh, that makes yeah. sense. So, yep. so what we got here is a a website that was created by the scammer that's made to look like a legitimate Crypto exchange, I guess. Right. Uh, and um, this listener did send in a screenshot. And, and I mean, well, I guess I'll just go ahead and be snarky. I mean, it it looks as legit as any crypto exchange looks. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Again, you get so, to the crux of the issue there. Like, I mean, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> and there's the problem. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, but Joe, I mean, to your point that, yeah, they're, they're going to require you to put in some money to create your account and, you know. That's gone. Zip. Yeah, yeah whatever just, you give them is gone. gone. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, our thanks to our listener for sending that in. Uh, I think this is a, an interesting little cautionary tale. So for uh, those of you who are out there frequently frequenting the um, crime groups on Telegram, <laughs> first of all, shame on you. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can get into some of these crime. No, I'm not going to do it. I, yeah, right. I, I, 
I don't I mean, have you know what's going to happen? Next next week, Joe's going to come in. Dave, I never thought it would happen to me. <laughs> oh, I lost yeah. all my crypto, Dave. <laughs> I'm living in a cardboard box in a <laughs> under the bridge but down by the river. Down by the river. Crypto multimillionaire. I thought I was going to be rich. I, rich, I say rich. It was, seemed so logical at the time. Are right. you flip and swap? <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> Send all my money. I bought flip and swap coins, and I thought <laughs> this was—I was—I was gonna get on the ground floor, Dave. The ground floor. Well, I told you about when I became a crypto millionaire, right? When I bought a million Shiba Inu. That's right. For yes. like twenty bucks. Now it's worth like eleven. There you go. <laughs> I'm still a crypto millionaire because I still have a million of them. You're adorable, Joe. <laughs> They're worthless. You're adorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that is my story this week. Uh, and before we get to Joe's story, I tell you what, let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. We were talking about making users into an asset for security professionals. Simply put, users want to do the right thing. They're often just lacking the knowledge to do so. That's one of the reasons Knowbefore has released Security Coach, a real-time security coaching tool that takes alerts from your existing security stack and sends immediate coaching to users who've taken risky actions. For example, imagine a user has visited a high-risk website or tried to open a document containing malware. Existing security tools will likely block that action, but the user might not understand why. Security Coach analyzes these alerts and provides users with relevant security tips via email or Slack, coaching them on why the action they just took was risky. Help users learn from their mistakes and strengthen your organization's security culture with Security Coach. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash security coach. That's knowbefore.com slash security coach. We are back. Joe, what do you have for us this week? Dave, I have two of them because uh, the first one's really short. Okay. It's from uh, from a listener named Heather, and she says a friend of hers works at a crypto, uh, not a cryptocurrency. You got crypto exchanges on my brain, Dave. <laughs> works at a U.S. defense contractor, and they put a job posting up, and they got three remarkably similar resumes. Hmm. Uh, from three remarkably similar email addresses at the same email provider. Okay. So they noticed this and it turns out that what they were trying to do, that what they think was trying going on here is that somebody was trying to get, just did an interview so they could ask a bunch of questions. Hmm. Like this is an intelligence operation. And the company, uh, they flagged these uh, resumes and reported it to the appropriate security authorities, which you have to do as part of your requirement for uh, having a secure facility and holding clearances and stuff like that. When you yeah. see something like this, you have to let the counterintelligence people know that this is happening. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't look like they gave anything up. So, uh, But it, my, my statement on this is that uh, if, you, if you work at a defense contractor, look out for this kind of stuff. Well, help me understand here. So the, okay. the scam is that, uh, so let's say I'm the scammer. Right. And I send in my resume. First and- off, you work for a foreign intelligence or some kind of, <laughs> you want to yeah. gather intelligence. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So, so you you get on 
some right. job site and you say, yeah, I have a clearance and I'm going to apply to, let's say it's um, uh, Northrop Grumman. Sure. It's not, that's not the company. But yeah. That's just the, the first one that popped into my head. Sure. So I reach out with my stellar resume and my goal is to get in a room with these people so that- Or get on a phone call. Okay. Oh, a phone even, call. Even a phone okay. call. I was going to so say, wouldn't they notice say, the same person three times? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so I can say, tell me about the projects that I'd be working on? Yes. Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. Okay. And so for the people who are part of this espionage operation, it lets them suss out which contractors are working on which projects. Exactly. Exactly. It can, it can provide information on where they should focus their, uh, their cyber operations. Right. It can provide information about maybe some projects that aren't even known. Yeah. Right. Mm. Um, so this, this was kind of a really hackneyed attempt. Uh, and it is a common uh, technique. In fact, that's what the security folks told this contractor. Hmm. Uh, but I'll pretty much guarantee that this is often executed much better. Hmm. That there are that this has been successful in the past in getting getting operatives on the phone with uh, contractors. Yeah, I would say oh, wow. just by virtue of the fact that they're still trying, it means right. that it must work sometimes. Yep. Interesting. Wow. So yeah. that's a word of caution for this one. Yeah. What a what dilemma for a hiring manager, though, how much you can actually disclose in an interview process. Right. Right. And, right. And that's, you know, that's that's an excellent point, Maria. And the there's really not a lot you can disclose in a lot of these hiring processes. Yeah. Um, wow. Until, until the, per well, actually, the, it, the, you can't disclose anything classified until the person's cleared and then briefed in on the project. Oh, of course. Um, so there is a process that protects against this, but they're looking at more of the uh, almost. I wouldn't say it's open source intelligence, but it's probably not classified. Yeah, these guys are aggregating this information on the back end. <laughs> this reminds me of uh, something I saw. That, um, this is not directly related to this, but it's funny, so I'll share. And okay. it was uh, someone was saying that if you have a gap in your resume or a gap in your work experience, you know, let's say you you took a few years to raised some kids or you took a break or you had, uh, you know, you, you needed some time off for mental health or whatever. And people, uh, and then you're out there looking for a new job and people ask you to explain the gap in your employment uh, that you should simply say, I'm sorry, I'm not at liberty to uh, divulge <laughs> what that break was about. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if they push you, you can say, I I'm sorry, uh, but I honor non-disclosure agreements. And, there you uh, go. And I'm not at liberty, not liberty to say what I was doing. Well, it, it, it reminds, yeah, it, it reminds me of the inverse. There's sort of an inverse hack that sometimes really cheap companies will do where they'll interview a bunch of specialists and they'll have them work on a project as part of the interview process and then never hire any of those people. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, right. this is the flip of that. Right, <laughs> oh exactly. God. Listen, Bob, we're going to see how good you are at assembling a Boeing 707. <laughs> so for the, we know next, how well that uh, went. <laughs> the next several weeks, uh, <laughs> this is just your test to see how you do. And then, yeah. <laughs> if you really impress us, maybe we'll hire you. Put bolts right. on that, that door panel thing. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Joe, what's your other story My here? other story actually comes from Rob Lowe, no E on this one, at uh, KDVR out in Denver. And <laughs> okay. we'll put a link in the show notes. This is a story about a phishing attack that is very similar to the one we talked about with Andy Cohen a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And this was at Chase Bank, and there's a couple from Golden, Colorado. Their name are Scott and Kate Zoll. 
Z-O-L-L. And they were victims of this attack, and they lost $137,000. So these are two social engineering attacks that we've heard of today with financial losses, and we're already pushing 200 grand. (laughs) Yeah. So it's... uh, this has real impact, but it started with the same text message that Andy had, Andy Cohen had. And it was like, uh, are you trying to transfer 2,500 bucks? And the first thing Scott does is he calls his local branch of, of Chase and they give him the, num- the number to the fraud department. Hmm. But then Scott, and he knows this was a mistake now, and he, he openly says that. He says, I replied to the text saying, no, I didn't authorize that. And the scammer immediately responds via text saying, someone will be in touch with you from our fraud department. And Scott gets a phone call. And again, it looks like it's coming from Chase's fraud department. It looks coming from the number that the person at the branch just gave him. The mm-hmm. second time we've right? seen that today. That, yep. Wow. <laughs> so your, those phone numbers are, can be easily spoofed, apparently, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how they do it, but they do it. Um, so he starts talking with this department, these, these scammers, thinking that they're the fraud department. And he, it, what happens is the call drops, right? Because the, the technology is that something happens and the call drops. Hmm. Uh, so Scott calls Chase back on the actual fraud number. And when he gets the actual fraud team, they have no idea what he's talking about. Right. Mm. But we haven't talked to you about this. And Scott gets frustrated. And while he's on the phone with the fraud department, the scammers call back from the fraud department's number and Scott answers that call and says, oh, these are the right people. They know who, who they know about the case that I'm working. Oh, oh wow. no. Right? So yeah. uh, the rest of the scam is very similar to what happened with, uh, with Andy Cohen. Uh, and they eventually started sending him the text messages that, uh, that allowed them to transfer out this money. And they took $137,000 out of his personal and business accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, now, here's my, my, my take on this. I think Chase has some culpability here, hmm. okay? Because Scott called his branch and they should have known that this was the beginning of a scam. And rather than just telling him to call the fraud department, they should have done something to secure his account. Mm. Make sure there yeah. weren't any uh, transfers happening until this was sorted out. And then he actually got in touch with the actual fraud department. He did call into the fraud department and, and nobody there recognized that he was in the midst of a scam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they were like, we don't have any record of this, and no, it never dawned on anybody there to go, hold on, hold on, yeah. somebody, yeah, that <laughs> everything how must this be works. fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these guys You're calling for no reason, <laughs> right? These guys should have known this. So I'm thinking that the Zoles have a pretty good case here against Chase to get this money back, as as opposed to you know somebody who was, um, you know, did everything the scammers said and, um. Just, you know, kept didn't inform the bank of anything. Didn't try to make any effort to inform the bank of anything. Right. And lo and behold, they're they're out uh, fifty grand. But these folks made two phone calls into Chase to say I'm worried about a fraud a fraud situation on my account, and they still allowed one hundred and thirty seven dollars thousand dollars to be transferred out. You'd think that like if, if like the moment somebody engages with the fraud department or even calls your branch, like. There should be some kind of rate limiting that happens, right? You know, like like you you can you know it it you can only pull out so much until we verify something or other. I I don't know. I I'm not sure how. I I'm with you, Joe. I, I it seems it seems crazy that with as much contact as these folks had with the bank, that nothing was flagged when all of a sudden over a hundred thousand dollars was pulled from their accounts, right? Yeah, nobody tapped the brakes at all at any point. Yep. That is odd. Yep. Wow. 
Yeah, and this whole thing about the bank, whether or not the banks are liable, you know, and I know there are different rules here in the U.S. versus uh, in the U.K. and elsewhere, and um, it's my understanding that a big part of this is um, whether or not the bank was simply doing what you requested them to do. In other words, if a scammer uh, calls me up and convinces me to withdraw the money, and I go to the bank and say, I want to withdraw my money, and the bank gives me my money, the bank's just doing what I asked. And I'm I'm the legitimate person who can ask for my money. And so in that case, the bank is not liable. Versus if the scammer were able to convince the bank that they were me. Because in that case, the bank had uh, you know, substandard security, let's right. say hypothetically. Right. right, right, and so then they could be on the hook for some of the money. But I, I'm that, that's that's a broad stroke description. I'm sure I'm missing some of the nuance. And uh, if there's somebody uh, who's listening who actually works in the banking industry and can give us a real precise uh, description of where we stand when it comes to policy on this thing, we would love to hear it. Right, and like uh, you said earlier, it depends on how much money you've lost. Uh, One hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars. I would be in touch with an attorney. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, those are our stories this week. Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day is a new first. Uh, this is going to be a video catch of the day, mm. which unfortunately for our listeners, uh, there will be video along with it. But <laughs> for, for our <laughs> listeners, it will be an audio. It will be an audio catch of the day, but there is video. Right. <laughs> um, but it comes from Thomas, who writes, I heard your recent episode on AI videos impersonating famous people, and I came across this one and thought I'd share because it's pretty awesome, and it seems legit is what he says. Hey, everyone. I'm Tucker Carlson. You're lucky if you're watching this because I am going to make you rich right at this moment, instantly. And no, this isn't a joke. I'm not going to reveal much details, but if you are a holder of Bitcoin or Ethereum, this will be the happiest day of your life. I can assure that. Scan the QR code below at the bottom of this video now. 2023 was a wild year. I was fired by Fox, which is now a good thing. A lot has changed since then. I moved to X and launched my show, Tucker on X, which generates 100 times more views for my episodes than I had on Fox. Thank you for being with me through all these times, and this is my way of thanking to you all. See you soon, and don't forget to watch my interview with Putin. Wow. <laughs> There's something for everyone in right. there. Right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, the thing is that the facial expressions on that are actually pretty good. Well, so so before we dig too much in here, Joe, for because it's... Our podcast listeners don't get to see the visuals. Right. What are, what are they looking at here? They're just looking at a, a fake video of Tucker Carlson from the chest up. Now, Tucker right. Carlson is a former Fox News, uh, one of the pontificators they have on. Yeah. Uh, and they, they fired him after, uh, after they lost the case with Dominion voting. Right. I don't know if it was related to that or not. Um, couldn't have helped. Couldn't have helped. Right. <laughs> right, right. But uh, now he is on. Uh, now he has a show on X. Apparently, I haven't. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I stay yeah. off the social media as much as I can. Yeah. Uh, with the exception lately, I've been more active on LinkedIn. But it's safe um, to say Tucker Carlson is a well-known celebrity. Well-known celebrity. And he is somebody that a lot of people trust. Yeah. 
So when he says to do something or to trust something or that he's going to be generous and share something, right? there are a lot of people who will take that to heart and do what he says. Yes, absolutely. And they're going to get victimized by whatever is at that URL on that barcode that shows up on the screen for about 30 seconds. Right. Yeah, and it looks like his real TV set, too. It's not just like him against a white backdrop. It looks no. legit. It's got like the lower third, the whole thing. It looks very real. Right. And uh, the, the thing I will say about it is it does kind of look like a, a little bit like a mannequin uh, of yeah. Tucker Carlson. It doesn't really look exactly like Tucker Carlson, but <laughs> I could... It's I, like a Tucker Carlson ventriloquist dummy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I could see me looking at that and going, well, it's because of the poor quality of the video. Yeah. Um, but it's... Also, there's there's some really bad text in the uh, that was entered in there as well. Um, you know, 100 times more views... Watch yeah. my interview with Putin. Yeah, uh, yeah there's some weird grammar going on. There, in what there he's is saying. some weird grammar in there. Yeah. 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 So yeah. there's there's some minor stuff, but this is uh, by and large, I think it's pretty good. That uh, you know, I I I I've heard what Tucker Car- Tucker Carlson sounds like. I'm not a regular watcher of of his or any any of those shows. Yeah. Anybody's shows. Uh, Particularly, I, the last thing, uh, I've t- I said it over and over again, the last thing I want to hear is somebody else's opinion. So I, I really don't read or look <laughs> well, at... you have so many of your own to right. share. <laughs> no, I, want, I want news. Right. Like, when I'm, right. when I'm reading a newspaper, I don't even go to the opinion page. I don't care what your opinion is. I want, I want to know what the news is. Uh, and, and these shows on Fox and CNN, all those shows after the newscast, are just opinion shows. Mm-hmm. And people treat them like news. This is a different a different problem that I'm getting into, but they're not news. They're opinion. They're all opinion. Uh, so I don't watch those. But I know what he sounds like. And as far as I can tell, sounds pretty close. Yeah. Sounds a little robotic, but sounds pretty close. Yeah. And these things are only going to get better. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. they are. There you go. Yeah. And you know, you're, go ahead, Maria. Yeah. You're scrolling on your phone. I was looking, I was noticing that this is a screenshot on somebody, a screen share from someone's phone. Mm-hmm. I've seen these kinds of ads like the Tucker Carlson one. I've seen them on Instagram and I'm sure Meta is squashing them all the time, but they keep popping yeah, up with sure different... Yeah, and you know, <laughs> you're just quickly scrolling through. You're not really paying much attention. It's on a tiny screen. It's easy to to oversee like, hey, he looks mm-hmm. a little robotic, but you know... It, but yeah. If you're, in, well, if you're into what he's saying, you're probably going to ignore a lot of those signals. Yep. And also you're overtaken by greed. Yeah. Right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you... you, you I mean, which is real. It, it, it's the same thing as the, we talked earlier on the show about people being overtaken with fear, right? Uh, and it's the same thing that 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 impulse of greed can take over your rational thinking, and, yeah, and make you want to ignore the the obvious signs that maybe there's something up with this. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a we were talking about uh, actually Taylor Swift and the Le Creuset uh, pots. Somebody was doing a Le Creuset giveaway. Yeah using Taylor Swift ads, fake right. Taylor Swift, to talk about the, the pots. And uh, no matter how many times the ads got reported to to Meta, they kept showing up. Oh, yeah. They came back seeing time them and now. time again. Yeah, yeah, I still see them. <laughs> yeah. Do you still see the, the ones with Taylor Swift? <laughs> yes, I do. I've seen a whole bunch of different Taylor Swift, and, and not even just the Le Creuset ones. I've seen a bunch of different variations on it. Uh, anything with Taylor Swift, she's very easy to— I'm not a Swiftie, but I just I know who she is. Like, she's very easy to replicate with AI. She's everywhere. So I've right. seen all sorts of different things, like different giveaways. It's it's everywhere. Yeah. 
By the way, uh, I met Tucker Carlson once. Did you? Yeah. I'm I sorry did. to hear that. <laughs> oh, I mean. <laughs> so this was a long, this was before he had his show at Fox. Uh, and he was the uh, keynote speaker at a charity event that I was the MC of. So I actually introduced him, uh, you know, shook his hand, had a chance to chat with him a little bit. And, um, you know, this again, this was a long time. This was before he was at Fox. And so um, he was not, he had not yet evolved into the Tucker that we know and love today. Right. Uh, and he was, <laughs> he was quite pleasant, you know, it seemed... seemed I had no problem with him one-on-one. -on -one. So, for what it's worth, uh, seemed like a nice guy at the time, but, you know, I can't, can't say I'm a fan anymore. But there you go. My brush with uh, the fame that is Tucker Carlson. You knew him when. <laughs> I did, exactly. Yes. Right. <laughs> Haven't washed my hand since. Oh. So, there we go. When Dave goes into the bathroom and says, employees must wash hands, he disregards the I sign. just washed my left hand uh -huh. because Tucker has touched my right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap things up. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Maria, for joining us here. And uh, we are going to try to make it a regular thing here. I know we can't have you back uh, every week, but we're going to try to get you back here as much as your schedule allows. We do appreciate you taking the time for us. It's always great. It's my joy to be here. Thank you both. I appreciate it a lot. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Know Before. They are experts in helping users do the right thing through new school security awareness training. Our thanks to all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. A quick reminder that N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our executive producer is Jennifer Iben. This show is edited by Trey Hester. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. I'm Joe Kerrigan. And I'm Maria Varmazes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>